DJ and PK, it's time to talk BYU football with Darnell Dixon, columnist for the Daily Herald. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret, Utah's in an extreme drought, and that's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Darnell, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How you doing? Good. Before we get to specifics, and we've got specifics, but before we get to specifics, big picture. You're moving around town. You're talking to BYU football fans. Do you think people are pretty dialed in with realistic expectations? Are they off the charts? I can't imagine there's a lot of doom and gloom, but maybe there is with so many guys moving on. What do you think? Are people pretty well dialed in on this team? It depends on who you talk to. I mean, there's obviously a lot of BYU fans who are very optimistic. They've been burned before, and they're afraid to put too much of their, their time and effort and, and attention into the team. But I, I think that most people realize this is going to be a very challenging year replacing the guys that left and the schedule's tougher. Um, and and I, I feel like most people are expecting in his sixth year that Kalani Sataki will have his program to the point where he can absorb some of those losses and keep the team at a, at a high level. Um, does, does that mean nine wins? Does that mean eight wins? That, that, again, that depends on who you talk to. But I think last year, people are still kind of riding that wave from the success the Cougars had last year. Yeah, I'm interested to see how much of a program Kalani has developed because, you know, when you look at it, particularly last season with the softer, softer schedule, you know, they should have had a pretty good season. Maybe they had a little bit better. And I think any team, if you have a confluence of a bunch of seniors and veterans, I realize Wilson wasn't a senior, but you get the point that they can have a big season. But the mark and the goal is to have consistency from year to year. Occasionally you reload a little bit, but you're able to put out a competitive product, you know, four out of five years, whatever it might be. Do you see the level of program rising to this position to where it can be competitive every year? I think this year's the ultimate test. And I, I was looking at it the other day. I, I think around I'm like something like 44 players had tackles last year. 22 had at least 10 um, 15 guys caught passes, 15 guys carried the ball, about a dozen offensive linemen played. I mean, the, the one, benefit, one of the benefits from playing such a, a soft schedule was a lot of guys got playing time. And that's valuable as you move forward and you try to replace some of those guys. And so the test this year is, will some of those guys, how, how many of those guys can step forward and be every down players or play 25 snaps instead of 10? I mean, there are a lot of positions where that's going to be very uh, important to follow, like defensive line, defensive backfield, some guys on the offensive line. But they did get a lot of people into the ball games. A lot of guys had experience. And one of the things Kalani Sataki said when he took over the program is he wanted to build up, um, take the opportunity to, to build up the depth and try to, to make them bigger, stronger, faster, but also deeper. And and I think that that is the effort that's been put forth. And this is a six year and we're going to see this year if that's going to happen. I feel like there's a lot of guys that are really on the cusp of contributing in a major way. We'll see how many of those guys can step forward. So I think it's really key that on each side of the ball, you get at least one, hopefully two guys that demand a double team because they make the game easier for everybody else. The wide receiver who has to be doubled or a defensive lineman who has to be doubled, it, makes, it just makes it so much easier. Can you identify... 
the stars, or do you have somebody who you suspect will not just step up and be good, but step up, demand the double team, and make life easier for everybody else? Yeah, there's a few guys that I, I think offensively, I, you know, I saw Puka Nakua play high school football, and I don't know that I've ever seen a more dominant high school receiver, or maybe even player in the state of Utah. And he was, he demanded double and triple teams, and it didn't matter. He beat them anyway. Um, that receiver group is really loaded. There's a lot of guys that are going to be able to get open, um, and and I feel like that'll be important. Um, if they can get um, Tyler Algier five yards of carry. Now, he had over seven last year, but that kind of, might be an anomaly just because of the schedule. But you get him to to five yards of carry, that was going to take a lot of pressure off whoever ends up being the starting quarterback. Um, defensively, they've got some really good linebackers. I'm not sure there's anybody there that – that'll need to be doubled. Um, and, and the real question is on that defensive line, who steps up? And, and the thing about their defense, though, and I, I had a talk with Ed Lamb about this during media day, is they play a complementary style of defense, and they really play off what the offense is doing. If the offense is running up and down the field, they take a few more chances. If the offense is struggling and punting a lot, they're trying to force the other team to move down the field in, in 10 or 12 or 15 play drives. So... I don't know that there's a guy on a defensive line yet that is, is going to demand any of those double teams. And we'll see who steps forward because there are a lot of guys that that earned playing time last year and some, some guys were not healthy um, and, and they're going to get a shot. You know, like some guy like uh, Lorenzo Fautea, um, he might get an opportunity to, to step forward in his, uh, in his junior year and make a difference. Um, Tyler Batty had some good moments last year before he got hurt and, Maybe he's a guy that can start putting pressure on the quarterback, but that's not really the design of the defense. Like I said, they play complementary style. So we're, we're going to see those guys uh, this week and the following weeks as we get a little opportunity to watch some practice, try to get an idea of what's going on out there. So overall, offense versus defense, if I go questions going into camp, I've got far more questions on defense. I can argue I've got questions on all three levels. We're offensively, uh, and then there's questions, you know, who will play, but there's more ready, available answers as far as who will play on offense. For instance, who's going to be the restarting receivers? Well, I understand that's a question, but I'm not really worried about the answers because I know that they could put quality players out there with the Nakua brothers adding to the program and the guys that they return. And so, you know, who's going to compliment Rex at tight end? But I feel confident there. Who's going to replace Christensen on the offensive line? Uh, I feel fairly confident there. So I guess the really only major question in my mind, and if you disagree, let me know, is that who's going to be the starting quarterback where on defense, who are going to be the playmakers? I have more questions defensively than offensively. Yeah, that, that's, that's total sense. And, and uh, I, I look at that defense and, and what Elisa Tuiaki has done with it in his time at BYU, and he's managed to put together a pretty good um, resume of a defense that, that is pretty good. I mean, they're not, they're not overpowering. They're not going to be top 10 in the country, but top 50 generally almost every year. And so it's the style of play. It's the way that they approach the game, as I mentioned before, with a complementary defense. Um, I, I think that Chaz Ayu is an opportunity to be a really big playmaker for them. He's playing kind of a hybrid linebacker safety position. Um, I think George Udo is an amazing athlete who's still kind of learning how the game works. Um, they, they've got uh, a couple of transfers uh, coming in in the defensive backfield that may step up. So, again, it, it's one of those things where, where we're just going to have to see how it plays out in the first couple of weeks 
of the season to see because they they used so many guys last year. I don't know that they can they can do that this year because the games are going to be closer. They're not going to be able to play. Um, you know, your third or fourth string guy, 10 or 12 reps in a game. So it, it's going to be on some of these guys, these new guys, or guys that have a little bit of experience to step forward and take the majority of the reps and, and be effective. I know the schedule's harder this year, and maybe it's uh, partly the fact that Arizona looks like they're in such a massive rebuild and they're the opener. But because of the way the games are distributed around the schedule, as opposed to four big games and you got to go to Michigan, you know, week three or four, that kind of stuff. They've got South Florida the first. Do, do you feel like the schedule's more balanced, even though obviously there's more Power Five teams on it? And because it's more balanced, it's a little more doable? Oh, for sure. And, and I think Tom Holmes does a magnificent job in making this work to the best that he can. It, you look at some of the earlier schedules and how top-heavy they were and travel-heavy and just disadvantage to, to the BYU, but they don't even leave the state until mid-October. I mean, they, except for obviously the Nevada game, which is close enough. But um, I, I think that, that they've put a really nice schedule together, one that BYU can handle. But the question I'm going to have, and you know, you look at last year's schedule, and I think there were four games that really in the fourth quarter might have been a little bit uh, uh, hard to decide, like, like it, was, it was coming down to a few plays. And they won three of those games. The one they lost was at Coastal Carolina when they had basically two days to repair. But they didn't play in a ton of close games. You would expect with this schedule there'd be more games that are going to be decided in the fourth quarter. And, and as we've seen over the years in the Utah game, BYU hasn't been able to make plays at the end of games um, consistently. So that, I think, is going to be telling with this club is can they, at the end of games, make the bright plays in close games to, to win them? And, and we'll see. I mean, we know that the Utah series has been all Utah the last uh, nine times they've played, but eight of those games have been within a touchdown. So it's not as if um, BYU hasn't had opportunities. And I, I think that as Kalani matures as a coach, as that program matures, they should be able to win more close games and make those plays at the end. And that's something that we'll be watching closely this year. So handicap the quarterback race. Handicap. I'm not much for for uh, uh, Vegas odds, uh, Pat. You know that, but <laughs> I, I think that BYU is in good shape, really, with a quarterback room. And and some people, you know, they talk to me and they they say, well, you know, if you don't play some guy, maybe he transfers. If you're a coach, you can't think that way. You just have to prepare to win this year, and then whatever happens at the end happens. But um, I, I think that most people feel like, and, and I feel this way, Jaron Hall has the the right combination of of skill and athleticism and has proven himself, at least in a, in a small portion um, before he got hurt, that he can be very effective as quarterback. But so is Baylor Romney, and, and I hear really good things about Jacob Conover and what he's done. So they're in, a good, they're in good shape, but I, I think right now you'd have to follow what Jaron Hall has been doing and, and make him the starter. Um, and, in fact, Aaron Roderick during the media day pretty much said if he's healthy, he's going to be difficult to beat out, and that kind of gives us, us a little bit of a clue to who – that the coaches are looking at. But yeah. they're in good shape any way that they go. But I like Jaron's combination of being able to run the ball a little bit and, and his accuracy and his playmaking ability, which we saw in a small portion a couple of years ago. So what is the big question or doubt, or you have none and he's going to be spectacular? Well, obviously with Jaron, it's, it's whether or not he can stay healthy. And, and we know he's had some concussion issues and, 
and uh, that that'll be a, a big deal. And you know, when when you're playing starting off with Division One Power Five teams, that's a little bit different than opening with Navy, which hadn't done any tackling in like three weeks. So you know, it's it's going to be Jaron's job, I think, to lose. Um, I, I feel like he's got some really good weapons around him, and that should be something that that'll help him if they can get the running game going with Tyler Algier and. Um, Lopini Katoa, those two guys are very experienced. The offensive line through the, the first five or six guys is pretty good. They do have some some questions to answer with depth. But if they can run the ball effectively and not expect him to step back and throw the ball 30 times a game like um, like Zach Wilson had to, or, or did, not only had to, but that would be why you took advantage of his skills, I think he'll be fine. And, and as long as they keep him upright, um, that, that's the, the problem you have with Jeremy. He's such a good playmaker and runner that he's going to put himself in positions to take some hits and and hopefully he'll be healthy um, after taking those hits but BYU's in good shape regardless because they've got three good quarterbacks I think that could that can help them it's funny with BYU's schedule and we didn't do it as much last year obviously but everything was crazy last year so we'll put that aside but when we look at their schedule when it first comes out we're like oh my gosh they need to win this game in September or they're going to go Oh and four, one and five, or whatever. But they haven't really done that. But even still, go and look at this schedule, and I do the same thing. <laughs> Start picking off games that they've got to win. And already, first game, if they don't beat Arizona, I'm in panic mode. They <laughs> they've they've got to beat Arizona one way or the other. So, do you look at it as far as their schedule given what Arizona is and they've lost 12 games in a row that man, if they don't beat Arizona, oh my gosh, whereas yeah, if they beat Arizona, all right, they got that one win and let's see what they can do right off the bat against obviously a front-loaded schedule which it looks like they'll continue to have. Yeah, Arizona is a program that's obviously in a lot of transition with the new coach and, and all those losses in a row. And BYU is in a good spot to be able to, to go to Las Vegas where they're going to have a lot of fans, um, and, and they should be able to pull off a victory there. If they don't, they don't have a lot of time to sit and cry about it because Utah at home is the next week. And that that's a, such a crucial game, I think, to set the tone for most of the season. I think people are expecting BYU to beat Arizona. But if they could pick up a win on September 11th against Utah, and that's a very tall task, I, I believe that, that the Utes are going to be pretty good. Um, that would be a really amazing tone for the rest of the year as they, they get through that, the rest of that schedule. And, you know, college football, in, in its sense right now, you really have to, to look at it as you need to win every game. And if you don't, there's things that you got to deal with and, and you try to move forward. But um, they're just looking at Arizona. They know they have to win that one. And, and then that whole September gamut with Utah and Arizona State playing some, some good regional games with Utah State and Boise State, that's challenging. But, they, you know, the old mantra of taking it one game at a time, they, they better do that because all of these teams are capable of beating them. And BYU is not going to be in a position last year where they could just simply wear down teams that were inferior. They aren't playing many of those teams this year. They're going to be playing against teams with good quality talent, and they have to play well to win. I get that they have to take them a game at a time, but I want no part of that. I think the whole fun of it is <laughs> looking forward and trying to figure stuff out. Oh, but for I, us, for sure, yeah. But I look at October, and I think Utah State's got a huge rebuild, so I think BYU's a big favorite there. But Boise State's got a new coach. I don't know what to make of Baylor. They were really good, and then suddenly they weren't. Uh, they got to go to Baylor, and they're going to Washington State. They're home to Virginia. Most of October is a mystery to me. 
Yeah, that's for sure. And, and they do get, like you said, a couple of those games on the road. Uh, the Jeff Grimes reunion uh, in, in in Waco on October 16th. And, of course, Bronco Mendenhall coming home to Cougar Stadium, Bill Edwards Stadium, on, on October 30th with Virginia. Um, all of those teams are, are teams with lots of questions. And I, I feel like that plays into BYU's favor. But by October, we should know a lot more about those teams and a lot more about BYU and we'll have a better handle on that. But as, as you said, looking at that schedule right now, you know, you're, you're talking about um, three of those teams are Power Five and one Boise State plays like a Power Five. So it's going to be challenging, but you don't know from year to year this happens. You look at the schedule and think, man, that, that schedule is crazy. Look at all those P5s. And then you see one team in the P5 that goes, you know, two and, two and ten or something. And so you just never know until they start playing games. And, and that October is going to be, um, you know, if they get through September with a pretty decent start, October will certainly be challenging. And, and we'll find out a lot more about those teams then. So the college football world was turned upside down a couple of weeks ago now with the transition from the two powers in the Big 12 to the SEC and could trickle down to BYU. How do you see BYU fitting in and all this stuff? Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy, and I, I've made my feelings pretty well known about Texas and Oklahoma. That it, it's, it's definitely a lookout for myself kind of thing, and it comes at a time when the NCAA is, is just in a, in, in a panic because they can't control anything. Uh, they're talking about expanding the playoffs. All these other programs are suffering from the effects of COVID-19 that year where they didn't make a ton of money because they didn't have any fans in the stands. It just, it's a really tough time, I think, for college football. And, and uh, I, I don't like the fact that, that they want to move toward these super leagues and be exclusionary. We've already got a professional football league in the United States called the NFL. And we've seen over the years many, many uh, minor leagues basically fail. I'm not saying that college football would be a minor league in those same sense, but I just feel like the college football game that I love and, and have grown up watching is changing. And I don't like the changes, but in terms of BYU, I think they're in a decent spot because not everybody's happy with independence. I, I think Tom Homo totally understands that, but it's the best for BYU right now. And if there's a situation that comes up with one of the conferences where they get invited and the numbers are right, I think BYU can look at that. But if they don't make a move, then they go back to independence where they've been successful and they understand what it takes to, to be successful in that, in that arena. Um, it, it's not the best option because you're trying to get access to the playoffs and, and being an independent doesn't provide that for BYU very well. But uh, they, they, can't, they can't jump back into a Mountain West Conference situation or, or even a little 12. You know, the, the, the money's not as good and the exposure's not as good because – you know, I, I talk with, with other people about this a lot. That I'm not sure that uh, overall, like the, the brethren in Salt Lake, their ideas about how BYU is successful don't always revolve around how much money the school makes or if they have access to the the national championship. I, I feel like it's more about the exposure and and having a, a vibrant program throughout the entire athletic department. So. I feel like BYU is in a decent spot, but it's just it's such an upheaval right now in, in the entirety of college football. You look at, at a program like Kansas, who has one of the best basketball programs in the country and one of the worst football programs. How do they play out in this? You know, with with the Big Twelve. So there's a lot of stuff going on that that I don't know have the answers to. But as far as BYU is concerned, I know Tom Homo and his staff are taking a look at every angle and and trying to find the best spot for them. But they don't have to move in a sense that, that they're not going to put themselves in a bad position. 
Darnell, we'll leave it right there. We appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on and talking a little Cougar football with us. You bet. I wasn't as enthusiastic as that Olympic wrestler uh, after winning a, a gold medal, but I tried. <laughs> That's Mensa Stock <laughs> is her last name. Yes. Oh, absolutely. man, that was crazy. Uh, <laughs> yes, and you can go look her name up. Tamara, T-A-M-Y-R-A, Mensa Stock, and her love for the U.S. is right where we need it to be. USA, USA. Yep, it's pretty sweet. Thanks, Darnell. Darnell Dixon, right, BYU football columnist for the Daily Herald, and you can read him in the Daily Herald. Dudes. Dudes. And dudettes. <laughs> I've got proof. Conclusive proof. While the, why the rivalry needs to live on. And if for both institutions... Not all you wet-noodled, uppity-ute fans who think you're past that. No, I've got conclusive proof why it's nothing but a positive for your program. And it has literally hurt him physically to hold this in until 8.30 in the morning. But for you, the 8.30 listener, what a win for you. It's next. Stay with us.